This episode is sponsored by Patricia Asp of Aspire. Does your company culture have what it takes to last? After the upheaval of the pandemic, many companies and organizations are struggling to adapt to new regulations, new workflows, and new workplace culture. After witnessing the dramatic weakening in the core values of great companies during mergers, acquisitions, and rapid growth, Patricia Asp, a forward board member and principal, launched Aspire, an organization founded to preserve the goodness in companies by hardwiring culture for sustainability. If you're interested in conducting a culture sustainability assessment, go to patriciaasp.com slash contact dash us. Make 2023 the year your company soars. Welcome back to Work, Love, Pray, Real Talk, Grounded in Truth. I'm Jordan Johnstone. Since we are starting the third month of 2023, so crazy, I thought I'd do a refresher on what we've talked about so far. In 2023, it's our goal to help you become unstoppable as you follow God's plan for your life. But being unstoppable is not always easy, so we wanted to offer guidance in areas that many of our forward community identified as roadblocks to them being unstoppable in their own lives. In January, Melissa Peak talked about using planning and strategy to help set yourself up well. And in February, Liz Fork and Bohannon encouraged us to take that dream that you've been holding onto and turn it into a brave reality. This month, we are talking about empowering the next generation of women, and not just the women in the United States, but the next generation of women around the world. How does empowering women on a global scale help you be unstoppable in your own life? Well, let's find out together. In this month's episode, I'm joined by Michelle Quinn, who is Vice President of Business Development at Constellus. Michelle, as you will quickly learn, has a heart for helping those who need the support of others to survive and make their communities a better place for all. In this episode, Michelle and I dive into what female empowerment should really entail and how you can be an advocate for your own empowerment. Let's begin our talk with Michelle. Well, Michelle, I would love to start off our conversation with asking you about what it is that inspired you to advocate for global empowerment for women. Wow, great, great, great question, Jordan. I think um, initially, I, I will say, um, I, I have been privileged to have amazing women in my family, mothers, grandmothers, aunts, um, just um, inspiring and uplifting and uh, admonishing. And so um, I would say, for me in particular, there's a childhood memory I have, which is kind of odd because it was decades and decades ago. But uh, I, my grandmother was my best friend. Um, Josephine lived in San Francisco, and I would spend as much time as possible with her. Uh, there are all sorts of things we would do in the community and in volunteering. And she was also, when I got married, she was my matron of honor. Uh, she was my best friend. If, you know, when I had dating situations, believe it or not, it was my grandmother that, uh, who, I, who I went to. She was born on April Fool's oh, Day. Wow in 1900 and she died on Valentine's day in the year 2000. So she lived to be just shy of a hundred. And those two dates were dates that fit her perfectly because 
She could be very uh, lighthearted and goofy and funny, and uh, but she had a huge heart and uh, and really inspired all the generations of our family mm -hmm. around us. So. My grandmother, when I was young, would say to me, do you, do you want to uh, learn to crochet or knit? And I think that was something she did with all of us. Her goal really wasn't to teach us to crochet or knit. She wanted time with us on the couch to talk to us about important things. So she would say to me, well, you know, I think starting at six years of age, even she'd say to me, so wedding at Cana. And I'd be like, well, I know, big old party. It was a, it was a wedding. It was a feast. They ran out of you know, they, they ran out of uh, wine. And, um, and so, you know, Jesus fixed it. And she'd be like, no, so this is the message that I want to put on your heart. And I want you to take this with you, Michelle. It was a wedding. It was a feast. It was a celebration of life and hope and fellowship. And it was families and celebration, yes, across a hillside. And yes, they did run out of wine. But what happened then Mary, Jesus's mother, goes to Jesus and she says, Jesus, they are out of wine. And he says what any surly young son might say. He says, woman, what business of this is mine? And rather than being uh, a mom who kind of says, can we talk or, uh, you know, any sort of admonishment, she just turns to the disciples and she says, uh, do as he asks you, do as he says. And what proceeds to happen Jesus proceeds to perform his first miracle in his public ministry. And why? Because his mother asked him. So it is that message that did stick with me. And as I've become, uh, uh, as I've begun working in fields that deal more with uh, international efforts, post-conflict, stabilization, fragile states, it is a message that I try and bring forward what might happen across the globe if we rewire those relationships where mothers can speak to their sons, where fathers protect their daughters, where we think uh, more, we think about the dignities of the human person and the uniqueness and value of a woman. So th that is one of the things that's kind of quietly had me bring, you know, bring these imperatives forward. My day job is working in fragile states post-conflict settings, high-threat theaters or war zones. And yet I, I never see a setting or a theater or a nation where a woman cannot have a dramatic imp impact if she is heard, if she is respected, if she is included, engaged, trained, valued, all of, all of those things. So um, that would be probably the reason that I feel strongly about doing these things because grandma asked me, and uh, it's something I've been able to ca carry forward. Well, and besides your grandmother, is there anybody else in your life that you would identify as being just one of your biggest advocates for your own empowerment? Yes. Yeah, so the, like you say, I think on a good day, and I think this is probably true for so many of us, on a good day when I feel I can see as far as I can, I am fully cognizant that I stand on the shoulders of giants. And uh, that includes certainly my own mother, um, my, my father, um, uh, and, uh, I've had, I've had, um, really great role models, but also really great, uh, parents who have never kind of said why you can't, you know, sometimes when I talk with other women and they say, well, my mom, you know, kind of says, you know, I have, I, I have led that we've always had lead shoes or she's told me what I can't do. Um, 
I, I simply have never had that. I don't know why I've been so lucky or so blessed uh, that my father, I only had brothers. I was raised with uh, no sisters and uh, I was always, uh, cons- you know, encouraged to climb the same tree, sit on the same tank, get the same education, um, uh, accomplish the same things that my brothers did. And I think that was probably good for me. It was uh, definitely shaping and influencing. Why do you think that that kind of stifling, I guess, of empowerment has really come to be a little bit more normal? Like, why have so many of us grown up under that? I think, you know, I think part of it is that, uh, you know, and on this on this forward po- podcast, of course, I can be candid. I think that at times we all lose our way and we don't keep front and center that we are all made in the image and likeness of God. And so uh, we have a worth, we have a dignity, we have a value that is not given by the job we hold, the title we have, the paycheck uh, that we receive, uh, the car that we drive, the home that we live in. The value that we have is is a value that is given by God. And uh, shame on us when we surrender that or forget that, because that needs to be first and foremost. And men and women both, we are uh, bound by our human condition. We have the dignities and value that God has given us. So when we surrender those, I don't, I, you know, I actually, it's heartbreaking and I, I, but I don't have a good explanation. I will tell you, but I have this little clip here and see how curious. Um, but after my mother passed away, I, you know, had to go through belongings and thing and things like that. And I found just this little scrap that was something that she had kept since 1952 from a newspaper. And it wasn't, I mean, that was even before she married, but she kept this quote in her uh, nightstand that says, uh, woman was created from the rib of man. She was not made from his head to top him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon, but out of his side to be equal to him, under his arm to be protected and near his heart to be loved. And I think that that is the truth of women. And, uh, um, and we need to encourage men and women in our culture to, to recall that and to live that. When you and I talked before, um, you know, and I had you share some thoughts about the topic that we're going to talk about today, you mentioned something about uh, being a woman of the Bible. And you didn't really, you didn't really go beyond that. So I'm curious to hear you kind of talk about it a little bit more um, and just kind of share with us, how does being a woman of the Bible, like you said, impact female empowerment, but on, you know, I would say on an individual, but also a community level? Absolutely. So um, I, I think, again, it is, it's so important that, that women recognize that that is, these are our roots. This is how we're wired. This is our uh, our our um, natural inheritance. This is our God-given inheritance, and you can see again and again, you know, with Esther and with Deborah, with Ruth, with with so many that the women of the Bible are fierce and they are fearless and uh, they are bold because they move out uh, knowing. Uh, knowing the work that they are accomplishing and knowing that God lives within them. And the heart of a woman is, 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 is uniquely wired again to, for receptivity, sensitivity, generosity, um, maternity. 
And uh, so I think that there again, it's helpful when we all remember this is this is what we were made for, and this is what we're called to. And it's I think it's harder, and it might be one of the reasons that it's become more challenging in this day and age. We're you know all fully modern and uh, you know fully aware, often very educated and empowered, especially women within the United States. And so we think that in order to advance professionally, we have to bring our reason, we have to bring sort of a logic that is that is kind of the logic more of a male-dominated world or a male-dominated business or enterprise. And so we think I'm gonna sit down and I'm gonna talk with a, with a certain amount of, of that kind of um, objectivity, um, ration, um, reason, and it's not that those things are bad at all, but when we, when we work just in that area and we don't bring the things that are unique to the heart of a woman, then I think, again, we surrender things that we don't have to, and we surrender things that the world needs because, uh, it is, it is, these are gifts that we have. Um, you know, I know in this day and age, we don't even, we, we, some people have trouble defining what a woman is. I know what a woman is. <laughs> And, uh, um, and women are a blessing and women are a salve to this world. Women bind up the brokenhearted. We free the captives. And it's, um, a woman shouldn't have to apologize for thinking like a woman. Thinking like a woman is a great thing. And if we look at, even if we, you know, biblically you look at the Bible and you look at how Jesus treated women, not just his own mother, but his women in in villages and in in the communities and the towns that he was at, he treats women with love, respect, openness, uh, engagement, and inclusion, and and um, and being just as they are as women. That is how he greets women. This is how he includes and engages women. So I think it's important for all of us, all of us, to recall. Now, as you go to these countries and. I'll take a step back for a second. So one of, or not one of, the theme that we are talking about throughout this whole year and breaking it down into different subjects each month is this idea of being unstoppable. And what we're aiming to do is to really help, you know, Christian women in the workplace especially understand how they can be unstoppable and how they can overcome different things that maybe they feel like are holding them back from being able to be unstoppable, you know, in whatever God has placed them in. But what I'm curious to hear from you, because you've you've gone out and you've you've been in these other, you know, environments and these other you know countries where women are dealing with vastly different things that are keeping them from being unstoppable, you know. And I think in in America, I don't want to say we have it easy, but we do. I mean, <laughs> compared to other places, we have a little bit easier. So you know, in America, something that might be unstoppable to someone is you know, uh, not being able to plan it out correctly or maybe financial support for something versus in another country, it's something we don't even have to think about dealing with. So like, I mean, what are, what are some examples that you could share of, you know, how women in other countries are being, you know, kept from being unstoppable? Yes. And I, you know, I have to agree with you. So I'm, I'm the mother of five. I have four daughters. They are bright, talented, fierce, precocious. Um, but, um, I guess through my daughters and just kind of, you know, being an American woman, 
we, we can frequently be in settings where American women rail against what they sense or what they state is uh, a, dis- a level of disrespect or oppression or lack of equality and all these kinds of things. And I don't mean to be insensitive to the frustrations of American women, but I really do believe that we American women have it darn good, right? We have access to education and healthcare and finance, and uh, we can travel freely and we can marry who we wish. And um, all of those are rights that we take for granted in, in the United States and in many very, you know, in many advanced nations. We take those rights for granted and then we become very frustrated by the things that we think we have not been given access to or the ways we feel we're being held back. Um, It is one of the things that I wish I could encourage American women to ponder is to look across the globe and, and to look at what happens to other women across the globe who don't have many of those things I've just named. They don't have access to education or training. They don't have access to clean water or medicine. Uh, They don't have access to uh, finance so that they could start a business. They can't often even own property, Mm -hmm. right? And and they don't get to determine who they marry. So it'd be one of those lovely things if American women could pivot and consider more what we can do for other women across the globe. And I think, like I say, I think for me, it's been a privilege to be able to almost accidentally drop into a space of stability operations where I've had the opportunity and and the privilege uh, to do those exact things. The work of um, the work of instability operations in my professional setting kind of addresses and deals with all those things that happen either before we get to an active war, right? Um, that we, you know, we look at a stable and a steady nation, and then we look at an unstable nation, and that often becomes a fragile state, right? And then we actually have what in the Defense Department here we call kinetic, and this is where, you know, this is where we engage weapon systems and technologies and and planes and ships, and it's where we shed precious blood of our sons and our daughters in that kinetic state of what becomes a a, a, a violent and a war-torn region. And then on the other side, we again look at uh, post-conflict, stabilization, what we need to do to stand up the rule of law, to enhance democracy, to help other nations understand human rights and freedoms and liberties. All of those are very important spaces. And I think women really thrive. Uh, um, Women can have, I won't say that they necessarily thrive. Women can have dramatic impact in fragile states and also then in post-conflict settings, in reestablishing the civility and the rule of law and and the prosperity, safety, advancement uh, in their nations. So I think uh, whether it's through our governments, whether it's through uh, fierce American women as leaders, whether it's through civil society, academia, I think that when women can reach across nations and be a voice for other women, it's critically important, and I think we need. I think it is uh, imperative that we do exactly that—that that we be the voice and become the voice for others who don't have that voice. And we do our best to rewire, um, rewire that relationship of fathers to daughters and mothers with their sons, because I think that we um, we can get so much done and really stabilize fragile states, bring prosperity, peace, opportunity across the globe 
when those human relationships are, are rewired and, uh, and held fast, embraced. Now, I mean, we just talked about how vast <laughs> the differences are between the different countries. So this might be too broad of a question, but I mean, what are some of the biggest ways that women can be empowered around the globe? Like, are there any similarities no matter what nation you're in? Yeah, there are, of course, uh, yes, yeah, certainly believe there are similarities because that is um, because of the, because of the dignities and the value that women are given, again, our God-given value and our God-given um, humanity. And so I think that some of these, are, yes, are absolutely universal and, uh, and, and across cultures. We always want to be respectful of cultures. It's, I think, one of the things I've certainly been privileged to learn. In the, in the past year, I've gotten to go to Dubai, Qatar, Abu Dhabi, uh, regions across Iraq, Poland, Germany, um, some areas in South America. And, um, and I see again, although I see women in different attire and women in different roles, um, and women with different levels of education or under or uh, formal education, I see again and again that the heart of a woman is the same. That um, and the value of a woman um, is the same is the same to God, and so I can be in I found myself in places where I can almost see nothing of a woman except her eyes. And yet when I take the time to sit with her and hold her hand and hear her story of loss or grief or challenge um, or family, her eyes shine the Holy Spirit and she sounds like a just fully joyful, empowered woman. And that's a privilege for me to see and then it's a privilege when I head back home to consider and ponder what I might be able to do to bring, uh, to shine a light on that dignity that she has um, and to help, uh, especially through U.S. government funding and U.S. government programs to, uh, to uh, facilitate and to support U.S. efforts to make sure that we bring these values forward. Uh, it's a, it's a, frankly, a privilege, right? The United States has so much wealth and has uh, such high aspirations and beliefs in human dignities. When the United States can bring those values forward, it is, it's critical, it is life-changing, and it, frankly, is, is essential to who we are as Americans, right? Um, other nations may not, uh, you know, when we talk about like battle competitions with Russia and China, they don't, um, they don't have anything like, like the laws that we have now, national action plans or Women, Peace and Security Act or the UN Resolution uh, 1325. They are not operating in that space uh, to consider and to put in the forefront the value of women. And we as American women are, and as a nation we are, and so we don't want to squander that opportunity, frankly, that responsibility. Now, another topic that you brought 
up um, when we were planning for today's episode was this idea of traditional and non-traditional roles of empowerment. So could you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. I think, um, um, I, I think it's one of the things that we may lose sight of, I think, sometimes as American women, that, again, that our worth and our dignity can take many shapes and many forms. And I've, I can, I look at women who have chosen to be stay-at-home moms, right? They are not going to embrace a career or they are staging their career. They're stepping out of the workforce. And I've seen at times over my own life that women can be very hard on other women. And so, uh, you know, women who are entirely in the workforce and achieving great and wonderful things can often disparage women who are not doing those things, um, and then women who stay at home and are homeschooling their children and uh, keeping the home fires burning, so to speak, they can be hard on and disparage women who are climbing a corporate ladder and having to find childcare options and advance that way. And um, so I try really hard uh, to support both and to not choose those uh, kind of, not to make those false choices, right? That that women in both of those uh, statuses in life, life choices, traditional and non-traditional roles, they have dignity, they have worth, they have value. Uh, I, you know, years ago, my, uh, my little brother worked for an organization called Thinka, the Foundation for International Community Assistance, gives microfinance and grants across Africa. And again and again, they would find that when they gave the grant, uh, if they they would give a grant to a man in sub-Saharan Africa, in Burundi, in Mali, and wherever, and uh, the man would say, "Well, this is what I intend to do," and often the goal was not achieved, and the grant uh, was not completed, and the funds were not well spent because uh, there was a lack of focus, or over tribal, or or uh, tribal, or regional, or border issues and, uh, you know, different government versus um, uh, different concerns, those funds would be squandered and, a, and, a, and a, the leader in that village might say instead that he's grabbing a machete and over issues of pride, he's going to, uh, you know, take on another village instead or counter uh, conflict that way. But again and again, when the grants and the, were given to women, where a woman would say, well, I'd like to stand up a chicken farm. I'd like to establish a small school. Um, I would like to build a clinic, right? That, that the heart of a woman uniquely vested in her village, in her community, in her region, in her nation, she would consistently complete that. And it wasn't that she was trying to necessarily uh, uh, build an empire. It wasn't that she was trying to establish a higher level of power or influence. It is again back to the heart of a woman. She wanted a school so that her children and all the other children in her community or in her village could learn to read. They could have access to music and art and, um, and pencils and pens and learn things that would, you know, be life-changing for their children. Again and again, if they wanted the clinic for maternal care and for medical health, their children would receive the immunizations that were needed and the other women uh, and the women in that village or that community or region were given access to health care that was life-saving and life-changing. And if they said they wanted to end up a chicken farm, they stood up the chicken farm. 
And now not only their village and their family, but adjacent villages and communities now had access to protein and chickens, and they were able to send those other places. So it, it goes back to the heart of a woman uh, that when we are wired to nurture, we are wired to love, we are wired to stabilize, uh, to protect. And I think that in a lot of ways, when we give grants, when we give support, when we create programs that simply leverage that, that power of a woman, we will find success and they will find success. And, and in the work of stability operations, I think that's very important. Thanks so much for joining me for the start of this month's conversation with Michelle. Come back in two weeks when we conclude our chat and Michelle analyzes how U.S. workplace culture is often a stumbling block to feeling empowered. And she also shares how anyone can start empowering others on an individual or a community-wide scale. For more information about today's episode, just go to forwardwomen.org slash podcast. That's the number four, W-O-R-D-W-O-M-E-N dot org slash podcast. If you've enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe to Work, Love, Pray on your favorite listening platform and leave us a review. Your review will help more people discover Work, Love, Pray, so your feedback is greatly appreciated. As you move forward on your journey to work, love, and pray well, don't forget to make time for real talk grounded in truth.